This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. This episode is brought to you by Snapple. Want to know another Snapple fact? The first hot air balloon passengers were a sheep, a duck, and a rooster. Ridiculous. Check out Snapple.com to find ridiculously flavored Snapple near you. People of Earth, your planet has to destroy. Welcome to Conspiracy, the show, the world's most trusted conspiracy theory podcast, with your hosts, Adam Todd Brown and Olivia Haidar. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Conspiracy the Show. I'm your host, Adam Todd Brown. Joining me as co-host this week, ooh, my favorite co-host of all, no co-host. But I do have a couple of guests. Case in point, Jack Kelly's here. Hello. Jack, have you ever been on Conspiracy the Show? I don't think I have, actually. I've been on a few others, but I have not been on Conspiracy. Well, welcome to the big leagues. You didn't. Jen Scott's here, too. (laughs) (laughs) What was that? Hi, 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 hi. It's me. I've been on the show before. I know all the conspiracies. Jen believes them all. Maybe not all. Yes, that's that's well known about me. If you tell me anything, I'll believe it. (laughs) Hey, thank you both for doing the pod. I appreciate it. We're talking about some shit today. We're talking about a documentary called The Great Hack, because I don't know if people know this, but we are looking down the barrel of our next presidential election right now. It is. I don't want it. Just a little over a year from now. And it looks like we're still we meaning uh, people who aren't Trump supporters are just riding with Biden again in 24, which I'm sure that's going to go. Great. The thing that doesn't translate, unfortunately, for a podcast is just the absolute exhaustion and <laughs> the dismay on my face. I just have no words for a lot of these feelings I have, except for just like profound sadness. <laughs> like, yeah, I can just I can describe Jack's face in one word and it was distraught. <laughs> <laughs> I don't, I don't want to do this again. <laughs> No one does. Yeah. Uh, We should just go without a president for a while. Yeah. Like until we can figure out the rest of the government, like we don't need a fucking king on top of everything else. Like it's all broken. Mm -hmm. We just, I mean, maybe we do need a king. Maybe that's what we need. I want to be king. I just can't wait to be king. I can't wait for you to be king, honestly. Thank you so much. It's the world I ever wanted in life. It's the world we need. I'm really chasing the goals. I know. I agree. I think I could do better. I think a lot of people could do better than what we have right now. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, everybody that would and could do better has no interest in the job because they don't want to be president because they know how awful the job is. Yeah. And anybody who wants the job has something fundamentally broken in them and it's yeah no that much power is awful and you shouldn't want it i'd be taking one for the team i'd be like i hate this the whole time (laughs) yeah i mean that's what like congress used to be was that people would basically like do their two years in the house and be like i don't want to fucking do this and then go back to their community like that was what you were supposed to do and now people made a career out of it because they realize what power it yields yeah So we're covering a documentary called The Great Hack. It is a 2019 Netflix documentary about the Cambridge Analytica scandal. And if you don't know what that is, I guess you have landed on the perfect episode of Conspiracy, the show for you, because we're going to talk about that by way of talking about this documentary 
Cambridge Analytica was hugely influential in the 2016 election. And a lot of that happened on Facebook. And I feel like enough people since then have stopped using Facebook that it seems like this is less of a threat now when that's absolutely not the case. Like people are still using Facebook. People are still going to use it to. I guess it depends on what you define as people. Yeah. When you say people are still using Facebook. What do you define as people? I think that. I mean. I think that millennials and Gen Z have mostly exited the platform. I think younger Gen Xers have also left the platform. But I mean, that's where boomers and older Gen Xers are still hanging out. So and they vote and they vote, they vote. And also, to be fair, Cambridge Analytica is a beautiful name for a baby girl. It is a nice name. Like, yeah, Mm -hmm. you should be a musician with a name like that, not a company that Engages Coming to the in- stage, Cambridge Analytica. Mm-hmm. But instead, they do psychological warfare against people to influence elections. <laughs> wah, wah. Yep. Bummer. I'm, I'm not going to say anything truly controversial right now. This documentary made me so mad. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Just big mad the whole time and just like just the face I was making the distraught face I was making talking about American politics and just the upcoming election that's how I felt the whole documentary and I pretty sure I dissociated for part of this documentary because I was like I can't listen to this I can't deal with this yeah this uh, could have been a true crime episode just as easily it, as a conspiracy episode it's crazy the lack of crime it is treated as yeah like someone like, does, we just did an oopsies. Someone does confess to a crime at the end, but even then, they do it just because. Well, that's easier than having to comply. It's not like anyone's going to go to jail over that shit. Ugh. It opens with a girl named Brittany Kaiser, who is <laughs> not being dramatic at all when. We see her writing Cambridge Analytica on some fucking statue at Burning Man. It's like, okay, are you trying to score points here by being at Burning Man? Do you think that makes you relatable, Brittany? Because it sure doesn't. It sure, sure does not. That shit confused me so much. I was like, why are we at Burning Man right now? And we never go back. We never see that red wig well, again. Is that, why well, you, the- is that why your hair is red, Jen? Because you watched this documentary? And you're wow. like, great. Big Britney Kaiser fan in the house. Yeah, that's why I had to do it. I had to rep Brit. <laughs> well, and then, well, and then I will say the next time we see her, she's like on vacation in Thailand. So like, <laughs> <laughs> she's fine. And she's so like, my family. Yeah. She's not a very likable figure, at least not to me. I was trying to like her the whole time because I was like, maybe she's doing the right thing. And this is trying to paint her as not doing the right thing. Cause she's the only person who actually said any thing was bad or condemned it. But then I texted Adam being like, do we hate her or do we just want to hate her? And I, I we hate her. I we hate, hate her. her. I hate her. She's, she's essentially sucks. a war criminal. Just because she said it was bad. Doesn't make it okay that she did it. Yeah. And like, I get that. We've all made mistakes in our youth, but most of our mistakes don't involve toppling foreign governments. <laughs> and hers yeah. did. So kind of, you don't know you, me, you know? <laughs> yeah. I, I know we're going to get to this in a minute, but like, I did appreciate them pointing out her like own personal arc and her own personal story of like where she began and where she ended up. And it's like, that's fascinating and definitely deserves to be looked at a bit more just broader overall in culture yeah i would watch a full documentary about Brittany kaiser like once i heard she was working on political campaigns since she was 14 it's like why like how did that happen what are you doing before that yeah like who recognized something in you as a 14 year old where they were like we got to get her because she was like running obama's facebook page in yes. 08 when he ran? Yes. Like, she's not that old now. So, like, how old was she in 08? Can we look up her age? I bet we can. Internet. How crazy would it be? Like, what I was doing at 12 online, that's 
scary to me what she was doing at 12 online because I was like hacking shit like like it was nothing too like for fun and I'm not smart (laughs) she was 22 when she was running Obama's Facebook page which that sounds about right maybe that's I mean, a lot of responsibility to give a 22 year old. I don't see that happening now. But also in two, th- no, I don't, I don't see it happening now, but in 2008, Facebook was still pretty new. So she yeah, would have had been, a way yeah, better just, grasp. Like that, that there was this movie with Vince Vaughn and Owen Wilson where they played like older people going back into the workforce. And there were all these scenes where they were pretending like they didn't know how the internet worked. And it's like, motherfucker, by the timeline in this movie, you were in your 20s when the internet really blew up. And now you're in your 40s. You've had 20 fucking years of experience. Don't tell me you don't know how the internet works. So like now I could see someone older being the person who runs a presidential Facebook page. But in 2008, it would have been a young. Yeah, in 2007, I remember they just rolled out in like 2006 that you could join Facebook in high school. Like they were just rolling that out and you needed like an invite to join. And I did. And so it's like people by and large, like didn't have Facebook. Like my parents didn't get Facebook until I was in college. Yeah. And that was five years I'd been on the platform already. So like it's, you know, it it made sense that like she was so young and doing it. She was an intern too. Right. Can we talk about for one second that weird chunk of time where only people who had been invited to Facebook had been posting on it for years and it was like we were like criminals on there with how much we were like underage partying and all that shit. And then all of a sudden our parents could be on there and we were all like in trouble, but like not because we were adults. It was like this weird backwards chunk of internet where they were like, we're mad about this. And it's like, you weren't invited. Yeah, that happens. Or at least that happened a lot in the early days of the internet where people were like, oh, Facebook, this is like my own personal thing. No one's looking at this, right? And it's like everyone is looking at it, especially (laughs) employers, people looking to employ you, all that shit. Well, and now it's so interesting because it's like, I see a lot of like Gen Z folks, like not really caring, like whatever they put online, they're like, whatever, this won't have any consequences. Meanwhile, like millennials are so fucking traumatized from like employers will see everything. And and it still remains to be true is that some employers really fucking care and some employers really fucking don't, you know, they're like, whatever you do on your own time is your own thing. But also like, don't make these enormous political statements and don't like, you know, do crystal meth and post videos on TikTok. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Also don't do that. (laughs) Yeah. Please don't do meth. David Carroll. He's another of the main players in this documentary. I just found him so purely annoying. Yeah. I I didn't really have an opinion on him. I don't think he's too excited about all of it. I was like, ew, stop. Yeah, but he's also like someone needed to file that lawsuit that he filed. Like, oh, I mean, I'm proud of him or whatever. I just think he's <laughs> annoying, like ultimately. Yeah, he's probably a pain to hang out with, but yeah, he's definitely not like one of the villains here. And I'm not saying you're calling him a villain, obviously. Oh, he's a villain. <laughs> probably in several other ways. He's an associate professor <laughs> at Parsons School of Design. And so, of course, <laughs> of course, that's who's going to be Tim leading Gunn. the campaign against data rights. Seems Make like it a work. weird choice. This guy's out here making jeans and calling out social media networks. Yeah. One of the things he brings up while he's addressing his class is that thing where you talk about something and next thing you know, you go on the gram And you see an ad for that thing you were just talking about. And it's like, is my phone listening to me? And the explanation is always no. It's just that the data that's out there about you is so good at predicting your next move that it just like knows what to show you. I don't think that this is any longer true. That feels like a roundabout answer to me because that feels like we can circle back to Okay, but is my phone listening to me? Like, is yeah. that I, that's part, part of that made the me data? think that he's annoying? I was like, 
okay, dude, because I felt like I already knew all of this. And I feel like most people, it's common knowledge. And like his explanation of it felt condescending and wrong. I was like, okay. Look, in his defense, this documentary did come out in 2019. So it was four years ago. So it's like now everyone's like, oh, it's not. That's what's happening. And it's like, but in 2019, this was this was new information. You know, and I think yeah. like for me, I just always look at my ads and I like, and I, I always give it a side eye because it's very bad at predicting what I want. And <laughs> I think, I think if I can give any advice, this podcast is um, have such disparate interests that the internet literally cannot paint a picture of who you are. <laughs> be ungovernable to advertise to. <laughs> yes, basically be ungovernable. <laughs> Just the things that the internet feels it needs to show me. I'm like, no, I'm not interested in that. Go away. (laughs) (laughs) Your ads mean nothing to me. Take your algorithm on a hike, buddy. (laughs) Yeah. And see, I'm the exact opposite. Instagram knows what I fuck with. That's for sure. They just show me like baseball cards and shoes. And I'm like, yep, I want that. You know where I got this Hiss t-shirt? Instagram. Wow. I do too many social experiments online for it to predict what I'm doing. And I also will do shit like talk about stuff just to fuck with my ads because I'm like, I've proved this wrong. (laughs) I I will just talk about shit that I don't put into my phone at all and and see see if I start getting ads for it. And it works. And see, I just kind of use Instagram for shopping at this point. I mean, that's what they want it to be. So it it does keep showing me advertisements for like a litter genie. But I'm just like, (laughs) yeah, because, you know, I have cats like that's. Of course, any cat owner wants a fucking litter genie. Yeah, I don't want to scoop litter boxes. Duh. But with what am I what with what money am I buying this litter genie? Yeah, the laziest. You also know I'm broke. Social media. The laziest version of it, and I think we still see it all the time, is when you buy something and then you start getting ads for that thing all over the internet. It's all like, the time. Like, what kind of research are you doing to decide that this was a good way to spend your money? Anyway, let's get back to David Carroll. He, again, says that, yeah, that's your phone's not listening to you. It's just like, it's really good at knowing what you're going to do. And it's like, that's kind of scarier, if I'm being honest. Yeah, I'd like, I'd like rather just know that my phone was listening to me. And it's in your brain. So David Carroll says that after the 2016 election, he realized that these same methods that advertisers are using to sell you shit on the internet could also probably be used for election purposes. And I feel like a lot of people were having that discussion already by then, but David Carroll landed on that after the election. And so he started looking into it. One of the groups that we meet is Project Alamo. They were a pro-Trump group who spent $1 million a day on Facebook ads. Now, here's a question. They show us a statistic at the end of this documentary, jumping way, way ahead here, that says Trump ran something like 5 million Facebook ads and Hillary Clinton ran 66,000. At which point, I think you have to ask the question, is that really election interference or is that Hillary Clinton not taking the internet into account enough? Because I do think, Hillary Clinton went into 2016 with kind of this air about her where she just felt like she was kind of entitled to be president next and that there was no way Trump was going to beat her. And why didn't she run 5 million Facebook ads? You know, you know, I think that it kind of reflects like, you know, that a lot of people on the left and Democrats were like saying like, oh, well, it's ridiculous. Like, Trump can't win like he's not going to win. And that was like us not realizing that there were, you know, because they do talk about like how, you know, there's a lot of like influenceable people online. I forget what the word they used for them, but they like, but that like we just, I don't know, there was this true underestimation of how badly people could be manipulated on Facebook and on social media. And I think that's like, I don't think it was necessarily like an air of like, she deserved it, but it was an air of just like, really? Y'all think that this motherfucker is going to win? Like he's in a, in a traditional election. Like had that been like a 2004 election, like 
she would she would have won like there because we wouldn't have had all of this disinformation and so i think i think that her attitude going into it was was fair in my opinion but because of all of the ads that the trump campaign ran in project alamo that like you know they they pushed it and they realized that that was how they could win and that was a tactic that i just don't think democrats counted yeah, I think that it's uh, like hard to even pinpoint. Like, I think that her probably her whole team was out of touch with what was like going on and how influential the Internet could become. And so, I mean, entitlement, sure, on one hand, but on the other hand, they just truly didn't do any of the research that Trump was prepared to do and like had a team that was willing to fucking spend money they didn't have to make something happen that shouldn't have. Period. Yeah. I mean, it definitely to me seems like it, it's at least a little bit of both. Like, yeah, no, for sure. Trump I think that definitely it's a, perfect, a perfect storm, so to speak, of hell. Yeah. Like Trump definitely had people working on his behalf, but I just feel like Hillary Clinton could have, too. That's that, what I mean, too. Like she dropped the ball like she should have had a team that knew what the fuck they were up against as far as what Facebook was potentially going to give. And she just didn't. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if even a lot of the stuff about, well, Trump's never going to win, like we don't actually have to worry about this. I wouldn't be surprised if some of that came from the Trump campaign also, because that was as effective as anything else in Oh, yeah. I mean, if you create win. opposition, because no one was even like entertaining the idea of him. So there was nothing to bat up against, really to create controversy. So I'm sure that they did that. That would only make sense. Yeah. And I mean, it worked. We, everyone, I mean, I wrote an article in 2015 about how Trump could totally win. And boy, did people call me crazy for that. Oof. I don't think I ever did. I was like, yep. And because then, weird af- thing about me, my dad worked for Donald Trump at one point when he was running for governor of Illinois and I don't think that anyone knew about that besides my family <laughs> because he was like in the campaign and my dad is a fucking criminal. <laughs> <laughs> That's who Trump likes. He loves a fucking mm-hmm. criminal. Ugh. So yeah, 2016, that didn't go the way we wanted it to go. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. So back to Cambridge Analytica, David Carroll has this notion that voter data was used by Cambridge Analytica to influence the election. And he ends up hiring a lawyer in Great Britain, a guy named Ravi Naik, to basically sue Cambridge Analytica for that data. And that becomes one of the running plot points throughout this, whether he's going to get that data and see what it was. And... Spoiler, he doesn't get it. Not only does he not get it, but at one point, Cambridge Analytica is like threatened with legal action. They're like, well, you'll be charged with crimes. And they're like, all right, charge us with crimes. That's fine. And they get charged with crimes and they just like pay a fucking fine or something. And they never have to give up that data, which that's kind of horrifying, honestly. Classic. I feel like companies like corporations do that every day, all day. Yeah. They just are like, oh, laws? We have money to deal with laws. Yeah. Yeah. They'll pay the fine because even if the fine is like $2 billion, they're like, all right, drop in the bucket. You know, class action lawsuit, who cares? Like, who cares if you, you have family members that are horribly disfigured by our product, like, and their lives are irreparably changed. But like, you know, the $200 will do it, right? I did not know that Cambridge Analytica started their political influencer work by working on the Ted Cruz campaign. That has that has to be such a powerful selling point to be able to walk in and be like, we got this fuck face elected. All right. Truly, truly. And it it, it really is. Like, That's so scary to be like, this guy sucks so much and look what we did for him. And uh, it makes Ted Cruz make perfect sense now. 
Because I like I was always like, how who fucking voted for this guy and why? And it's oh, it was a psychological operation that was conducted on the people of Texas. <laughs> oh, duh. It's <laughs> just that. That's all. And don't you hate it when that happens? <laughs> but that does make perfect sense. Like that's where you start. You start with the hardest possible option. Like, how do you get someone like Ted Cruz elected? Like, once you do that, like, Trump's going to be easy. That motherfucker had a TV show for years. He's got fans. Ted Cruz's dad killed JFK. That's probably not true. <laughs> yeah, and he was the Zodiac killer. <laughs> yep. That too. What did we think of Alexander Nix, the CEO of Cambridge Analytica? He looked like he should be on Creepy. a... Yeah, he looked like he should be on a British sketch comedy show or something, as opposed to being the guy actively trying to ruin the world. Yeah, what is, who, what's the guy that he does look like that is... Uh, the guy with the fucking glasses in the... Yes, oh, yes, uh, yes. In it, in it, bro. Yes, uh. yes, yes, and like not Ricky Gervais, his friend. Yeah. Oh, Stephen Merchant? Yeah. Yes. yes. <laughs> He's like a low-budget Stephen Merchant. Yes, yes, yes. Thank you for knowing his name. I could not get it out of my brain. That that Stephen Merchant is a tall, gangly motherfucker. Like that yeah. man is a giant. Yeah, but yeah, he seems yeah. like a noodle. Yeah, mm-hmm. he's like he's like six foot eight. He's genuinely enormous. Yeah, I wish That's everyone could have seen Jen's hand movements when she said he looks like a noodle. Great for podcasts. Yeah, <laughs> inspiring stuff. So yeah, Ted Cruz is where they get their start, and then they go to Trump, and they're like, "Listen, if we got that motherfucker elected, we can obviously get you elected." And they talk a little bit about their methods. And the thing is, there's science going way, way back on the type of people who are prone to vote for someone like Trump. There's a book I talk about all the time. You can still find a free copy online. It's, the book is called The Authoritarians. But they also wrote a new version of it when Trump was campaigning called Authoritarian Nightmare. And <laughs> it's written by this guy who was a professor at a college in Canada for years and years and years. He was a psychology professor. And he gave incoming freshmen this survey that was meant to determine how likely you are to vote for an authoritarian leader. And what he found is that there is just a segment of the population. What population? All of it. The whole fucking world that just craves a really strong leader who isn't going to make them have to think. Like, just keep me safe and keep the fucking trains running, so to speak, and we will follow you to the end of the earth. And it seems like Cambridge Analytica probably incorporated some of that into their research. Because if you can combine that with social media and someone like Trump, that's easy math. Like, that's super easy. And it seems like they did. They did DNA sciences on uh, Facebook. They just selected for certain things within people, and then they essentially bred the algorithm to find them for them. It's pretty easy stuff if you, like, even know a little bit about selecting for genetics, which is what the internet is even based on. So they really just did internet. (laughs) Kinda. Yeah. Horrifying. So we also meet a woman named Carol Cadwallader. That last name threw me off. There is a jarring lack of vowels, but Carol seemed like a good egg. She was also one of the people investigating Cambridge Analytica and she got treated like a Russian asset and a conspiracy theorist over it, which that sucks. But also when you're defending yourself against those claims in the documentary, don't do it in front of a poster with a bunch of fucking Russian writing yeah. on it. Yeah, I saw <laughs> that. I was like, <laughs> like, girl, you're never going to beat the allegations. <laughs> <laughs> oh, this poster. Yes, I know exactly what it says. Mm. Crazy. Uh, they. What did we think of Christopher Wiley, the the guy with the pink hair? Um, say, kind of. Go ahead. I was gonna say I didn't think he was in this documentary enough for being a whistleblower. Like he was barely in this documentary. I was like, if you had such a big part in this, like 
what? Like, why didn't we hear more from you? I don't know. He was probably too eloquent on the subject. <laughs> probably. Could be, yeah. <laughs> Not messy enough. He's another. They also kind of painted him to be a narc. And I was like, okay, chill. Well, they let Cambridge Analytica kind of kneecap his point of view in this because they're talking. I don't remember which Cambridge Analytica fuck face it is, but the guy's like, yeah, he's commenting on a bunch of stuff that happened when he didn't work here. And also he pitched the Trump campaign first and we just won. And I mean, if that's true, it's kind of like, oh, dude, I like your hair, but fuck you too. Like, yeah, like don't, don't go pitching the Trump campaign. Motherfucker. So then like, is that a whistleblower? Or is that a narc if you're telling on yourself? Yeah, that's the yeah. thing. Like he's a whistleblower, but to what end? Like, is it? Just because he's mad that he, he didn't get Trump elected. Like, I don't know. But I do find it interesting that he describes Cambridge Analytica as a full service propaganda machine, Ugh. which, oof. Brutal. How do you turn that off once you've turned it on? Because like Cambridge Analytica was just a company that was doing this, but it's not like the mechanisms for doing it have gone away. That data is all still out there. And now there's more companies that are doing what Cambridge Analytica did and you you can't stop it now and I truly cannot express how angry this documentary <laughs> made me <laughs> yeah I would go as far to say the internet as a whole at this point is a full service propaganda machine and that we need to scrub the whole thing and start over oh I would be all internet for internet baby let's go yeah Burn it down, start over. Guess what? No addictive algorithms. Rule one. Yeah, there's a lot of points in history where we should have just stopped. And with the internet, it's like Yahoo. Oh, we're there. We're past there. No, like Yahoo groups is where we should have stopped. Like, <laughs> like no yeah. social media, none of that shit. Like we, like the internet should have just united us in that we all now could go find our people and fucking hang with them. And that's how it was for a long time. Powerful. And then it turned into, oh no, why don't we all fucking hang out together? And that's when shit went downhill. Like I didn't yeah. ever need to interact with my old high school friends ever again, as it turns out. Like my life would have been just as rich if I did not know that my best friend Larry is an avid Trump supporter now. Like, I would love not knowing that. But hey. Yeah, well, I would say the internet has even gone one step further instead of like, what if we all hung out together? Now it's just like, what if I only showed you takes and opinions that you vehemently disagree with? And it's like, <laughs> no, I d that's actually the opposite of what I want. I just want to hang out with the people that I like, that I agree with, because we enjoy things and if we have a disagreement we can talk about it like humans and not like be brigaded by people who have you know stronger opinions and want to throw words around and oh, I got y'all I really I'm like I feel like I'm so blind in this conversation just with how angry I am I'm saying this all while smiling because if I don't I'm gonna scream yeah. I just feel like the internet stopped oh. being we're all here together and started being we're all here together. So let's fight. Yeah. Yeah. Kind of. Yeah. I forgot. They mentioned in this a detail I had forgotten, which is that Cambridge <laughs> Analytica was in part founded by Steve Bannon, which thanks. I hate it. That's cool. <laughs> Someone there's a quote where someone says this is the weapon Steve Bannon wanted to build to fight his culture war. And great. I'm sure he's given up on that. Since then, I'm sure we have nothing to worry about there. So David Carroll, he files his lawsuit. Again, that doesn't fucking go anywhere. This becomes enough of a story that there's a hearing about it. And at one point, Christopher Wiley is like, well, the person you should be talking to is Brittany Kaiser. And they're like, who the fuck is Brittany Kaiser? And it's like, how? It seems like she was just there the whole time. Like, how did you... Well, I guess he came forward. The funky as, hats, dude. She got <laughs> the funky hat. Nobody sees her. <laughs> yeah, I guess he came forward as a whistleblower. So they probably she wouldn't didn't have, have pink known. Hair. She had a funky hat. They don't see that. <laughs> exactly. The first time they interview her, she's somewhere in Thailand. And she's like, the other thing is maybe she ran the fuck away. Yeah. I mean, 
it seems like she has reason to take up residence in a foreign country as opposed uh-huh. to the United States. Like I if, would say so. I did get that vibe kind of that because Brittany Kaiser, she played a huge role in all of this. And she does come forward as sort of a whistleblower, but she's a whistleblower in the same way the first people to make it out of Jonestown were whistleblowers. Because if you look into that, like Deborah Layton was one of the first people to come out of Jonestown and be like, whoa, what the fuck? You're not going to believe what's happening there. Deborah Layton was like in charge at Jonestown. She was like the number two. And then she comes out and gets to like build the narrative of what was happening in there and be like, oh, I was a victim too. this fucking cult leader. Am I right? And it's like, nah, you built that with him. Like you were doing it. You weren't one of the people being held as a slave at Jonestown. You were the slave master. And then you come out like, oh my God, can you believe it? Brittany Kaiser, I kind of get that sense too, where she's like, oh fuck, can you believe what these people were doing? And some of it, I think is just to protect her and I think her freedom. Yeah, I- well, I think some of that is also her trying to like mentally and emotionally protect herself. And like, I'd be interested to know more of like what the conversations with her family was like. I mean, we get a phone, we overhear a phone conversation between her and her mom um, and her mom saying like, oh, you know, talking about like having to pay the bills or something. And she's like, I don't have a thousand dollars to pay all of the bills. And I'm like, I'm fascinated to find out like what this conversation is, because like to me, that so clearly sounds like she was working on all of these like campaigns that have put her mother on her, you know, on her heels and like trying to figure this out. And she's like, you know, I can I can help you out. And it's just like it's like, girl, you you're part of the problem. Like you did this to your mom like this is this is what happened and you were part of this and you directly influenced this in hurting your own fucking family and yourself. And I think that part of it is like, she's just trying to mentally protect herself. And I think that's, you know, what, you know, Deborah Layton did too, you know, leaving these cults. And it's like, no, you, you were in charge. Like you need to like, you need to go to therapy and talk that out with somebody and like come to terms with what you did and accept that that's what you did. I think about the, um, oh my God, I'm not going to remember his name, but the, um, there's a guy that left the Moonies that was actually like really influential in the Moonies too. And he brought in a lot of people from the Moonies or to the Moonies. And he's like now out and speaking on like, or, or really like Mike Rinder, you know, for Scientology, like coming out and like, he's like, I did all this bad stuff and I am now paying the price for it. I am also having to sit in front of people who are telling me this was your fault. You did this to me specifically, like you specifically did this to me specifically. And he's having to live with that. And he even like cries in interviews sometimes because he is just so distraught of like how he hurt so many people. And he's obviously in therapy or like, he's not in therapy about it. Cause they're all still weird about therapy, but like he's working through it, you know? And it's like, yeah. but it's like, Brittany still needs to work through these things. I'm just yeah, like, I you did this see- to people. I didn't see real regret from her. I didn't mm-hmm. see any accountability from her. She's just like, she'll be like sitting watching Zuckerberg and be like, okay, yeah, Zuck, or whatever the fuck. And it's like, you don't get to be like that. We get to be like that. You don't get to fucking be like that. And also like no tears really just like fucking just, I think that she really did all of this so that she could see herself as a, as a human again. And like, yeah to protect, like you're saying, her emotional well-being instead of just actually emotionally taking responsibility for the fact that you just fucking decided this would be a fun fucking thing for you to do, Little Miss Campaign. Well, not just that, but there's a thing she mentions in this where she points out that her family lost a lot of money during the 2008-2009 financial collapse. And... I can't help but wonder if that was maybe the trigger that made her go from Democrat who runs Obama's Facebook page to human rights campaigner to, okay, well, now I'm going to fucking help Trump and the worst version of Republicans take over the world. Like, I wonder if she blamed her family's 
financial Definitely. demise on Obama and the Democrats a little bit and was like, there's that whole bootstraps mentality that is like, well, if your family's suffering, you should just take any job that's given to you. Yeah. Well, I wonder if it was that, or was it like a revenge thing where she was like, Oh, I supported. Oh, you think? She's like, they did this to my family. <laughs> kind of like that's nuts. Cause she does make a hard fucking pivot from human rights to, all right, well now I'm going to join the NRA and find out how this side of the world does things like that. I thought that was such an interesting part when she was talking about that, where she was like, I don't like guns. And so she's like, I thought I like was interested in the human design of people who like guns. And I'm like, yeah, that's fucking creepier, bitch. Yeah. That's a little weirder. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I just, I, yeah, I'm wondering, I'm with you, Adam. I'm wondering if this is like misplaced blame, yeah. like, you know, because I know a lot of people, blamed Obama for the financial collapse. And it was like, no, 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 yeah. he just took office. Guess who set all that up? Like, yeah, exactly. you know, it's like, we're kind of going through a similar thing with like, um, you know, it's like Bob Iger had made like a bunch of not great choices in his first time as CEO of Disney. And then Chapek was also not very good, but he then had to deal with what Iger had like set up for him and go through all of that. And then now that Iger's back, some of his own chickens have come home to roost that he set up that were going to be somebody else's problem. So like it's, you know, put it's, you know, kicking, you know, kicking the ball down the field for somebody else to deal with. And it's <sighs> exhausting. Um, yeah. But yeah, I can see, I could see her, especially being like, you know, I remember when I was like, you know, 23, 24, and like the things that I thought then are a lot of them are not what I think now. Um, yeah. And a lot of it is just like, oh, no, you actually are required to hold a lot of nuance in your head and like find comfort in the gray area. Whereas like it's easier to blame somebody and be like, they're the reason for all my problems. And be like, they're not. There's actually a lot of reasons. But you know, for a 22 year old who just came off of a campaign and then being like, oh, well, this president personally harmed me by, you know, ruining my family's financial situation. Like I could see, I could see the logic of like, well, I'm going to go work for this data company and then like slowly trickle into right wing nonsense. Yeah. She talks about how they did it and it's so simple. Like they just targeted the people they wanted to target and just flooded those people's pages and news feeds with anti-Hillary Clinton content. And they did it in a way that made it seem like it was just organic and coming from like grassroots political groups and shit because you could just make up a news outlet and like post content to Facebook from that news outlet when you're really like that happened during the 2016 election. There were all these like what seemed like quaint little local news outlets that were just propaganda and they were set up solely to disseminate that propaganda and the difficult thing is is that like americans are not educated well enough on disseminating propaganda and media literacy and so like we're you know it's like people that are are like no these are fake fucking websites like these are fake news sources and but people don't want to investigate it any further they just see a thing it confirms their bias they don't go any further into it and it's like okay but what is that what is that source right now? Like, what are you, like, who's actually behind that source? And it's like, if you don't dig deep enough into it, then, and they're, they're just getting more sophisticated and hiding what a source is and who's behind it. And it's I like, literally did it myself, like recently, like for myself, I was trying to uh, get verification I don't even remember on which outlet, but I had heard that if you have publications written about you, that you could get verified that way. So I made an AI writer. I had AI write the article about me. I posted it to Medium as that fake AI writer and then posted it. And people were like, wow, that's so cool all day. It took me 20 minutes. Yeah. This is not hard stuff. 
And also, that's me. Think about what people are doing to you all the time. That's me being silly. That was a goof. Yeah, this is a company that was spending a million dollars a day. <laughs> on so, like, imagine the way they can target it, how easy it was. It's fucked up. Yeah. And so, Cambridge Analytica eventually, as this stuff starts coming out, goes on this media campaign trying to make themselves seem like less of a villain than they are. This is the point where they kind of paint Chris Wiley as like a jealous ex-employee. And it's like, okay, sure. But is what he's saying true? Because if so, I don't care if he's a jealous ex-employee. Sometimes <laughs> jealous ex-employees say shit like this. And then why the, are we caring about what's who's jealous here? Yeah. Like, is what he's saying true? That's the fucking question. When they bring up Brittany Kaiser, though, that same guy is a little less adamant about things. He's like, well, I thought she was a friend. So I'm like, okay, well, everything Brittany Kaiser saying is true, obviously. Like, if that's his reaction. I do like the part where she finds all this, like, old, like, her old calendar and all these emails because Cambridge Analytica, oh, yeah, that was wild. they were trying to deny that they used this Facebook data after a certain point. And that's one of the myths about the internet is people are like, oh, once it's on the internet, it's there forever. It's like, motherfucker, not if someone stops paying their hosting bill. Like, Ask shit. me about MySpace, what? <laughs> yeah, shit disappears from the internet all the time. And Cambridge Analytica had successfully eliminated any proof that they were using this Facebook data from the internet. But then Brittany Kaiser finds this email on her old work computer that clearly says, well, we're using these, this Facebook data for 30 million people. And it's like got a date on it. that is clearly well after when they said they had deleted all this stuff. So they couldn't really refute what she was saying. Like she had a laptop full of information, but still kinda nothing shocking. She's alive actually. Kinda. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's probably why she lives in Thailand now. I mean, I'm assuming oh. she lives in Thailand. <laughs> yeah. seems like we don't know if she I'm does. I'm assuming that. And so There's that part where she was like, I guess no going outside right now. <laughs> I wonder, yeah, girl, yeah. I guess. Yeah. Ugh, what rough. were you wondering? I said, I, I was going to say, I was wondering if like they have like extradition. So is that the word? Yeah, yeah. Maybe. I don't know, but she's not. Yeah, but I don't think she's a criminal to the U.S. She's just somebody that would probably have a hit taken out on them. Yeah. Well, by somebody else. There is that thing that comes up later about her meeting with Julian Assange about the 2016 election, or was it? It might have been the 2020 election. I don't remember, but she was like, "Oh, we didn't talk about the election." It's like. Okay. Sure, girl. Sure, you didn't. Like, in that case, I could see the U.S. being like, yeah, we'd like to have a word, but who knows? The The point where I really started to kind of turn on Brittany Kaiser, and I don't know if she was there for this part of what Cambridge Analytica did, but they didn't really start with Ted Cruz. Like, Ted Cruz was their selling point, but where they started was third world countries in like Eastern European countries like Lithuania, Romania, Kenya, Ghana, Malaysia. They interfered in all of those elections way before they decided to upgrade and start fucking with the U.S. and the U.K. also. We haven't mentioned, but Cambridge Analytica did the same thing with Brexit and they were instrumental in making Brexit happen. But before that, they were in all of these tiny countries just helping probably authoritarian regimes take over. That's one of the things that struck me. There's a TED talk at the end of this where Carol, the journalist, is talking to Silicon Valley. And she's like, is this really what you want? Do you want history to remember you as the handmaidens of authoritarianism? And it's like, I think the scary answer is yes. Like, I don't. I don't think these companies are opposed to authoritarianism, especially when you consider that if they are the ones who make it happen, then they're probably going to be set up pretty well in terms of life under that authoritarian regime. Like Google has had no problems 
kowtowing to China when they need to. I don't think any of these companies would have a single fucking problem with being remembered as the ones who ushered in these authoritarian regimes. They're like, yeah, baby, that's what we do. As long as they get paid, they don't care. Yeah. Like, you know, as long as we live under a capitalistic society and money is king, they don't care. And that's kind of what the government cares about, too. Like the American government. This is what I mean. This I'm so angry. (laughs) Like, I just I know we're heading toward it. So I'm just going to go to it. They talk about working on this campaign in Trinidad and Tobago of this do the do so uh, campaign do so campaign which is can they wanted to put in because there's apparently like a you know a big afro latino community and then like a very large indian community which i didn't know about trinidad and tobago so yeah i didn't either fun fact to learn but that they wanted to put in an indian leader and they were working for the the Indian community there. And so they made this whole campaign called Do So by like, you know, I forget what the re- they, like what the two. Well, they were the what they basically were. did was they encouraged the Do So campaign encouraged young people to not vote because like on the grounds that they're not getting the choices they want, the government's not working for you, whatever. But the whole point was to get people to rally around the do so campaign, knowing that the people on the black side would just not vote. And the people on the Indian side, they might get on social media and be like, yeah, I'm not voting. But they knew once their parents were like, no, you're voting. Like you're coming with me and you're voting. That side was still going to vote. And like, they knew all of that ahead of time and it fucking worked. Yeah. It's bad times. Yeah. It's bad times, man. Well, especially with the Do So campaign, because they even talk about how, because there's like recording of them in this meeting, like talking about how like, you know, they realize like, oh, well, you know, this group of people, like what's the easiest thing is to not vote. And so it's actually easier to convince them to not do anything than to do anything. So what if we just convince them to not vote? And yeah. so we did that and we started this whole campaign. And I mean, the thing is, is that like we we've seen that work here, like that has absolutely worked, you know, and it's worked over many years of people being convinced that they're like, oh, well, if I don't vote, like it's whatever. My vote doesn't matter anyway. And having to do real campaigns to be like your votes matter, especially in local elections like They're trying to dissuade younger voters who tend to vote Democrat and vote liberally to not vote because it it locks in authoritarian and oppressive and regressive regimes. And like if you tell them to not vote, they're not going to go vote. So you have to. So making so it's like the fact that like these these regimes are also so anti like making voting easier and that they hated voting from home. They hated vote by mail. They still hate it because they're like, well, we don't want to make this easier for people because the whole point is to make it hard for people so that they give up because they think that it's too much and their vote doesn't matter. And we can't have them know that it actually does matter and that it actually is pretty easy to vote. And we could make it easier. Literally every government program makes it as hard as possible to do it so that you won't and you won't reap the benefits of the government that are built in for you. It's the same with like unemployment. It's the same with like going to the DMV. It all encourages you having then uh, criminal behavior or uh, like othered behavior essentially that then they can hold against you and then charge you for because it's all just feeding the capitalism you suck energy. (laughs) Yeah. At least we make it super easy to vote here. In the United States. Ha! That's, that was one of the things I hated about the end of this documentary. I hated when Carol, the journalist, started going into all the stuff about how, listen, this is what Russia does. This is Russia fucking being Russia and just meddling in our affairs. And it's like, if you think the CIA didn't see this and go, oh, shit, I know what we're working on now. Like, you're out of your fucking mind. Like, we do this. Like, for all the talk of, oh, well, Russia bought all these Facebook pages. It's like, motherfucker, the UK did this. Like, our ally is the, like, it was a company in the UK who did this. 
and we're like hmm, Russia. It's like no, we do that shit too. Yeah. Anybody yeah. who can do this will do this. Yeah. It's ultimate control over millions of people. Anyone who can do this will do this. Yeah. It the call is coming from inside the house. So. <laughs> yeah. We need to start over. But internet bad. Yeah, it's I mean, it's like it's like this started in the UK. It started like, you know, it's like they were using it here and it's like and Russia just jumped on the bandwagon. Like it's you can't say that they're the drivers of this. It's really easy to paint Russia as like the big bad and that they're the reason and that they're the only bad actor in this being like, mm, I'm pretty sure Brittany Kaiser's an American. I'm pretty sure that Christopher Wiley's an American. I'm yeah. pretty sure that there were a lot of Americans that worked on this. I'm pretty sure there's a lot of Americans that hired Cambridge Analytica. Like it's not, it's like, that's, it's not all Russia, my friend. It's like anybody who wants to take control knows who to contact, who's going to put them in that place. Yeah. You're telling me the people that did colonizing colonized the internet? What? <laughs> that seems so weird of them. So out of character. So <laughs> out of character of the UK. Mm. So I th- I think that's I think that's our episode, right? People should watch yeah. this. I think it, it's a very interesting documentary. Form oh, your own opinions okay. about Brittany Kaiser. I'm not crazy about her. I don't trust her. Oh yeah, I mean, I never trust. I never trust somebody that accessorizes that poorly, <laughs> or <laughs> who works for the government. That no, that that's allowed. It's the accessories. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, it's I. It's just like one of these documentaries that, like, I've really like stepped away from being because I used to be really politically active when I was younger, and as the lines got further and further divided and I felt like I was seeing more propaganda on my timeline and from my friends and that's still kind of happening now with certain things and I am just getting increasingly worried about like where even my friends are getting their news sources I'm like you guys are better than this like what is happening and so it's like I've just had to step away from a lot of it because it's like you know people the the sources that they're trusting are also being infiltrated and so it's like because they know that they know that people trust them and so it's like you have to still continue to be vigilant and so it's like and i'm just seeing the the divides happening and it's just and it is just so it is so scary and especially like right now in this moment as a Jewish trans person, it is very difficult to exist um, Mm -hmm. in this world. And so it is just seeing a lot of stuff happening. And I'm just like this, like some of these opinions did not exist even, even five years ago. Like when I started coming out as trans in 2015, a lot of these opinions did not exist. And to me, it's like people really didn't give a shit about trans people like they cared but like not to this level and so like to me it's just like well yeah it's it's propaganda it's propaganda that's that's helping push this along and so it's like it's just it's just getting increasingly scary and like and and shit like Cambridge Analytica driving this and now there's other actors in there driving this is just I mean, it is, it is just, it's just made being online and being a caring and empathetic person really difficult um, because you want to care about stuff, but you don't want to fall victim to propaganda and you don't want to, I don't know, have this consume your entire brain because the algorithm is feeding it and making you upset and anxious. And it's, it's hard because it's the main reason I want to like step away from social media and I just want to like delete all my accounts. But I also will miss like having jokes with friends and like, you know, seeing what my friends are up to and their day to day stuff. And it's it's I think that that's part of the problem is that people don't want to give that up. And so they're stuck being fed propaganda in between, you know, their friends vacation posts and posts of their kids and families and pets. And you got to get on you really got to get hard. on blue sky. There's nothing. I am on. Oh. I am on blue sky. There is nothing on my blue sky because I don't <laughs> understand how it works. So if you could show me, it's like Twitter, but uh, with a, fewer Nazis. 
Uh, I would. I have to be online. It is my job to be online, and it sucks all day, every day. But I think that everyone could benefit from my rule of. If you see something that is trying to get you to take a side that is not the side of human rights, maybe look at what you're reading again. Yeah, that is a solid rule. And I don't know. It just seems uh, to the more we create discourse that is against each other, the farther we are away from taking down the powers that control us. Yeah, so. the blue versus red thing was such a brilliant move on this government's part. Like, we are forever doomed to this existence where no matter what the government suggests, half the country is going to be for it and the other half is going to be against it. Even if it's a thing that hurts us all, even if it's a thing that hurts people you know, even if it's a thing that fucking would help us all, it's always going to be that thing where, well, that's that side's idea, so it's bad. The thing I always reference is national internet. Like every administration since like Bush has been pushing the idea that, hey, we should have like just free internet for everybody. Like everyone should have the same access to this technology because there are still a shockingly high number of people in this country who just have no access to the internet. But every time it gets proposed, the other side is like, I don't want this authoritarian fuck to be the one who does it. And like it happened with Obama, he was like, hey, free internet, what do you think? And Republicans were like, fuck you, you socialist scum. And then Trump pushed the same idea. And people on the left were like, oh, no, I'm not letting you Nazi fuck spy on me like that. And it's like, God damn it, we need national internet. Stop it. Yeah, it needs to be a utility like, you know, like anything else um, yeah. because of just how connected our world is now and how desperately you need the internet for everything. But it's, yeah, it's, and, and then, but that also goes into lobbyists and that goes into, you know, once again, these companies and capitalism feeding our representatives too, and also starting their own like propaganda uh, campaigns of like, yeah. Oh no, you don't want nationalized internet because we spectrum our piece of shit connection um we want you to keep paying 80 dollars a month for our terrible internet because we need you and we need you to make us exist and make us rich yeah even though we're not going to make your service any better yeah like i i don't think there is a government version of the internet that would be worse <laughs> than the spectrum internet i have now it's so bad yeah. it's the only available thing in my neighborhood same and that's the thing and that's monopolization that's like mm -hmm. you know it's like it there's there's so much connected to all of these policy decisions and and instead of like really peeling back the curtain and being like no it's companies that are that are invested in you and invested in your money and what they want from you um and they're helping this. And then you have people coming in of like, well, I agree with that. And they're going to make me rich. So I'm going to make these propaganda campaigns to make sure that that stays in power. And so we're also going to help these people be elected that will also put that in power. And it's just, it, it is just so, I have said for literally years now, I've been saying it since I was in high school that I fucking hate this country um, for the fact that it just refuses to protect its citizens from forces like this and that like, Oh yeah. There just, there just doesn't seem a, to be a path that it ever will. And it, and it is, and it is so disheartening and it is so difficult to grapple with that. And like, but also like, I can't really go anywhere else. And so it's like, we can't afford to leave. We're trapped here, baby. Also, yeah. we should eat them. We should eat them all. <laughs> yes. Let's eat them. Let's nom, 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 nom. eat them. Yeah. All right. I think that's our episode. Thank you both. I think, I think this episode <laughs> is sad <laughs> enough. <laughs> we did it. We I'm made hungry. this documentary. Let's eat government officials. <laughs> we made this documentary even sadder than it is. Jack, Jen, thank you both. For doing the pod this feels like an appropriate time for plugs i got a show november 10th at the sardine in san pedro you can come out and hey, see baby. me tell jokes 
And I'm also doing Samantha Jane's show, Comedy Go-Go, at the El Cid, November 17th. The El Cid? Nope, I fucked that up last week, That's too. That's not that is. Yeah, that L already means the. It's not the, the, the Cid. The. Yeah. Uh, and uh, my my uh, substack, adamtodbrown.substack.com. I uh, just put a new video up where I'm opening shit. Opened a sealed copy of Fleetwood Mac's 1979 Unboxing. album, Unboxing! Unboxing, and I ate a bowl of Carmella Creeper cereal. Spoiler, it fucking sucks. It is a, Ew. It is a blight on the monster cereal franchise. Okay. Embarrassing. Right? Yikes. Uh, what else do we got to plug? Jack, what do you got? Um, I don't have anything, uh, but you can follow me on social media. <laughs> the hellscape that we just talked about. Uh, I mostly post cat photos. And uh, I just recently posted a video of me going rock climbing, uh, you know, to lighten the mood, I guess. Uh, You can follow me on Instagram and Twitter at Jack Loves TV. Jen, what do you got? Oh, who, me? Yeah, you. Um, I got a show. I'm going to be on a live stream show um, on Twitch on November 9th and it, I will post more about it because I don't remember the name of it. I um, am on Daddy's Favorite at the Goldfish in LA Thursday the 16th of November and please subscribe to all my stuff. Follow me at Meet Jen everywhere. I said I was quitting OnlyFans but I fucking lied. So if you want to see me naked fucking do that. <laughs> she lied. Alright let's get the fuck out of here. Jack say goodbye. Bye. Jen say goodbye. Bye-bye. Goodbye, everybody. We love you.